All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to get into the Word. Father, we come before you tonight, and we thank you. We love you. We have enjoyed worshiping you, God, and we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your Word. We want to know that it's you. We want your Spirit to move in us and through us, God, and Father, I pray for those of us who may have come tonight or maybe listening online who just do this religiously, that you would first of all forgive us, and secondly, that you would breathe new life into us and you would fan into flame the embers of our heart, that we would be on fire for you, consumed with all that you are. We love you, God, and we love your word. Please be honored and glorified during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Mark chapter 10. And if you've been here over the weeks, you've been enjoying the study in Mark. I know I have. Uh, it's, we know that Mark is a fast-paced gospel. It's like an action story. You know, at this point where we are in chapter 10, it's like two weeks to, to three weeks away from the crucifixion. You know, things are moving quickly. You may not realize it in the story where we're at, but things are, are moving quickly here. And Jesus' three-year ministry with his disciples is nearing its end. Now in chapter 9, we just studied that Jesus reminded the disciples that he was going to be crucified and resurrected, and they asked which would be the greatest. Remember that? He also taught them that who isn't against us is for us. And remember, he talked about the seriousness of avoiding sin and temptation. Remember, if your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, gouge it out. Right? So, so we learn that Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He's teaching the multitudes as well. And, and now here we are at chapter 10. And it sounds like we're going to talk about divorce and marriage and children and finally our dependence upon God. And that this is true. We are going to talk about those things, and there's a likelihood that I will step on somebody's toes tonight. It's very, very possible that that will happen. So I want to encourage you right now to make a decision that you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit, and you're going to let him convict, and then you're going to let him restore and reconcile you. You're going to let that area of your life be healed. There is another option, and that is just to get defensive and to shut me out. And if you do that, even though I'm a donkey of a guy, you're still shutting out the teaching of God's word. So I want to encourage you not to do that. But even more than talking about divorce, marriage, children, and dependence on God, we're talking about something else that is really, really beautiful, and that is Jesus' view of those things. Looking at it 
through his eyes. And remember, these gospels, they point to Jesus. Everything is about him. And so what do we learn about Jesus as we study these subjects? Now, some of these things are hard, particularly about marriage. And I want you to know that none of us have gotten marriage right 100% of the time. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh man, he's going to talk about marriage and mine failed, or mine is in the process of being a train wreck, or I'm struggling with some things, I want you to know that every marriage has or will go through hard times. Every person who is married will come up with lots of opportunities to die to self. They may not always choose to die to self, but I guarantee you that they will have the opportunity. So don't let yourself be condemned. Don't let yourself be offended. But just because some of these things are hard to hear, we don't change what the word of God says to tickle our ears. We want to hear what God says so that we can compare what's going on in our life and find out what he wants us to do. All right, here we go. Mark 10, verses 1 and 2. It says, And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? I want to tell you that this same story, as it's recorded in Matthew 19, gives a little bit of clarity. Uh, They weren't just asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? There was more than that. They already believed that it was lawful for a man to divorce. What they were asking is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? In Matthew chapter 9, it actually uses those words, just any reason. So they already believed it was lawful, but they're trying to find out what Jesus would say. And notice it said they were testing him. They were trying to trick Jesus. And how was that a test? Well, it's a test because there were two schools of thought at the time. There was a very liberal school of thought that was promoted by a rabbi named Hillel, who took this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and interpreted it one way, and another rabbi, Shammai, took the same passage and interpreted it another way. And so there were these two schools of thought, and they were conflicting. One was liberal, and one was conservative. Guess which one was the most popular? The more liberal one because, in this case, it gave more freedom to the flesh. Here's the verse in Deuteronomy 24. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and so on. So what's it saying? Some indecency. In the New King James, it says some uncleanness. So one rabbi says, well, indecency or uncleanness, this is the liberal rabbi, he says that means anything 
from burning your food while she's cooking to being a brawling woman, a brawling woman as defined at the time was someone whose voice could be heard in the house next door. So if she's loud, some of y'all are in trouble. Some of y'all loud. <laughs> I say if they can hear you in the house next door, you're a brawling woman, it's indecent. If you talk to a man that's not your husband, if you talk badly about your husband or his family, so this rabbi had a list of things that were considered indecent, and people took that and, and even made it more uh, ridiculous. They took it and said, well, if the woman isn't attractive, she's indecent. And so basically what they were doing is they were saying a man could have any reason to divorce his wife, and they were using scripture to try to support that viewpoint. The more conservative rabbis said, no, obviously indecency means sexual immorality. And he's right, and the reason we know he's right is because Jesus says that. But, so there's these two schools of thought, and so the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they're testing him, because they want him to be tried in the court of public opinion, and they want him to be found guilty, where somebody's mad at him no matter what he says, and they could also be hoping that he's going to say that Moses in Deuteronomy got it wrong. So then somehow they would trick him on one front or the other. Let's continue on. Let's look at what Jesus says in verse 3. He answered them, what did Moses command you? In other words, what does scripture say? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So right now, first of all, they've answered their own question. They said, you know, it, it's, it's permitted. They already knew the answer. Moses says it's allowable. So they, they know that answer already, so they're, they're trying to trick him. And notice that it says it was allowed or permitted, not that it's required. And this liberal rabbi was saying that it's a requirement to divorce your wife if she's indecent in any way. And then Jesus said, it is because of your hardness of heart. The word that's used here for hardness is the same word that's used, the root word for scoliosis, a hardening, a hardening, arterial sclerosis, sorry, sclerosis, a hardening of the artery. Here it's saying your heart has become hardened. It's no longer a heart of flesh and blood that that, that is feeling and that desires to honor God. So he's saying that is why Moses is saying he allowed you to divorce. Now I want you to think about this a minute. Does that mean that divorce is the result of hardness of heart? In every essence, every situation that I can think of of people over the years that I've known that have suffered from divorce, yes, there's been a hardening of the heart of one person or both people. Another way to call this hardening of the heart is sin. Sin. Now, sometimes 
When somebody sins against you, it could be violence and it could be, it could be infidelity and it could be cruelty. And that is sin. Coming into a marriage situation. Or sometimes it's just an unwillingness to yield, an unwillingness to love, an unwillingness to give way to someone else, which pride is also sin. Now I know what you're thinking. Pastor Jim, you're being really mean right now. You're drilling this down and you're saying that divorce is because of sin. Yes. That is what I'm saying. Sometimes you're a victim of that. And I get that. I get that, and I get that it hurts, and I've never known. You know, I hear about people who say that they're people that just flippantly get divorced or whatever, and they don't care. I've never met anybody like that. The truth is, everybody that I've ever met that has suffered from divorce suffers from divorce. They suffer before they go through it, while they go through it, and after they go through it. I don't think anybody would choose that type of suffering unless they felt that they had no choice. Let's keep reading. We're going we're gonna to see how Jesus talks about divorce. He talks about it by talking about marriage and defining marriage. Look at verse 6. You know, they, they had just quoted Moses from Deuteronomy. So Jesus goes back to the very beginning. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He says, from the beginning, this was the design, this was God's creation, was that man and woman one man, one woman would come together and that they would have a marriage. They would leave their individual families, leave their singleness, and cleave together. That's what the Old Testament, the, New, uh, the King James called it cleaving, right? Leave and cleave. They would be joined into one flesh. It would be unity. The Lord supernaturally making them one, one unit out of two, two souls in one unit. Individuals somehow, and yet one. When we say, I do, God says, I do too, to that union. It becomes more than a civil contract. It's an agreement before and with the Lord, determined to remain intact. And I use the word determined because in order for a marriage to stay intact, there must be determination. There must be determination. And man shouldn't separate what God has put together. Is it tempting to split up or divorce? Yes. Is it hard to live as a married couple in today's world? Yes. It requires 100% of giving of yourself to each other and to God on a daily basis Marriage is not 50-50. If anybody ever told you that, they're lying. It is 100-100. Looking back over 37 years of marriage, I can honestly say that there were times when things were rough. Carol's not perfect. I am. 
but she isn't. And so things were rough. There were times that we could have walked away. Some of our friends did walk away from each other. And just recently, Carol, we were driving somewhere, and Carol said, I'm so glad that we stayed together and we know each other. And the reason that we were saying that is because we do a lot of counseling of younger couples, and we listen to what they're saying, and we're like, I remember that. And it's not that we have all the answers. We don't. We still argue. We still have to die on a daily basis to ourselves. All right? We still bump heads. I'm a morning person. Okay? I get up at 2 or 3 in the morning. And I'm like, woo, time for coffee. (laughs) My wife. Not a morning person. She's put up with that for a long time. But we've had things that we've had to work through, and I want to tell you right now, and I'm being completely honest with you, there were times when we could have walked away. Many people would have walked away. Uh, There were times when our marriage was beyond shambles. And God saved us but it was because of a decision to work. It was a decision to hang in there, to work at it, to love each other, to keep talking, even when we were exhausted, to keep pushing through. And it's it's by the grace of God. Let's look at verse 10 through 12. It says, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All right. So this is, this is a, a, a big thing because in today's world in particular, people, you know, they don't want to hear this type of thing and we want to be able to just live our lives like we want. And when the Bible doesn't fit the way we want to live our lives, we want to say things like it's irrelevant. Or we want to say things like, well, that was for then. That was a different time. Contextually, it's different. But I want you to know that it really wasn't different then. I just explained to you the two different factions of what people were believing and thinking. And it was a hot topic then and it's a hot topic now. And I want you to know that the Bible does say that there are three reasons for biblical divorce. There are three reasons. One is sexual immorality. And to be honest with you, that word is porneia. It doesn't even mean sexual intercourse it means sexual immorality a hardening of the heart regarding sexual immorality that's one reason another reason is death you are released from a marriage biblically if your mate were to pass and number three it tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that if an unbelieving spouse desires to go, to let them go. And in those three reasons, there's nothing in Scripture that says it's wrong to remarry. 
And I know that there are churches that teach you that once you're divorced, you get a big red letter D stamped on your forehead, and you can't remarry. But that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that it says, except for immorality, you would be committing adultery. It's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. It says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So, if you take the whole counsel of God's word, it certainly appears that if there's a biblical grounds for divorce, there's a biblical grounds for remarriage. But it doesn't say that there's any other reason that we can remarry. It doesn't say there's any other reason, and I know that that's hard to hear, uh, and, and I have some good news for you. The good news is that God loves you and that you're forgiven. If you made a mistake and you got out of a marriage and you remarried, God loves you and he forgives you. But this is really, we're talking about what the Bible says about marriage and what it says about divorce. It actually says God hates divorce. And the whole thing where it says that divorce is permitted because of hardening of the heart, I think that the bigger thing is if you can somehow survive those hard times and remain married with forgiveness and reconciliation, that that is a victory. So even if there was infidelity or sexual immorality, that you could forgive and that you could overcome and that you would be a testimony to the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God. But, if you are divorced, there's, there's biblical grounds for that. Seeing marriage through the eyes of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. He looked at marriage differently. While they were looking for a way to trick him by asking the question, and they were looking for a way out of a difficult marriage, Jesus is saying marriage is purposeful. It's created by God. It's loving. It's a choice to die to yourself daily and to live for each other. It's an opportunity for unity to be united and ordered by God. And yes, it's difficult. It's hard to die on a daily basis as iron sharpens iron. It's a defining moment. It's determined to last and to be used by God as a testimony for others. It's overcoming, it's lasting and persevering, and it's foundational to your children and your grandchildren and to the future. So Jesus sees marriage as this amazing blessing where we're actually supposed to go through these hard things and the rough edges get knocked off and we struggle and we turn to him and we cry out to him and we forgive our spouse and we grow old together. We grow old together giving glory to God. That is the picture that we see here. It's a beautiful picture. But sometimes, as human beings, we mess things up. Or they get messed up for us. Some of you legitimately 
have been victims of situations. And I want you to know that the Bible even makes contingencies for those things. You should read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about even separation at times. Separating when you need to. There is sometimes when a couple, because of violence or different things, a Christian couple who just has so many issues or they just simply cannot live together, there are times when separation for a period of time is wise. So what if you aren't married yet? The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Find someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. Go to premarital counseling and work through some issues before you get married. Talk through some things. When you embrace marriage, realize that you're embracing a lifetime of living with someone and dying to self. What if my marriage already failed? Or what if I've remarried? What should I do? Thank God for his mercy. There's forgiveness. Serve God where you are at this point with all your heart. First Corinthians 7 talks about that. Just serving God with where you are and moving forward. You know, what's interesting is that thinking about the way that Jesus sees us, we're going to see in this the next couple of stories here, that Jesus doesn't see us based on the things that we failed at. He sees them, but that's not what he sees. What he sees is us, and he loves us, exactly as we are, and there is no second class in the body of Christ. There is saved and unsaved, right? And so we are God's children. If you know him, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, then you belong to him. Let's keep reading in this passage. Look at uh, verse 13. It says... And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And look at this picture of Jesus. He is so approachable and loving and accepting. He is hands-on. And he wants the kids to come to him. And here are the disciples, and they're being all slick. You know, they're like, oh, he doesn't have time for this, you know. Jesus has got his agenda. Uh, let's go, um, blue, blue seven, blue seven, here comes the captain. He's coming through. No, you know, it was like totally, it was like, yes, Jesus wants to meet people. He wants to talk to children. You have to remember that in those days, right, children were not considered important. 
And Jesus is like, no, let him come. Let him come to me. And he says that unless you have faith like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And look, it's not being childish. It's not what he's saying that we have to be childish. Some of us are childish already. It's not childlike. Childlike faith. What does that mean? Childlike faith. Able to receive this unearned affection and attention. A child is able to just receive unearned affection and attention. Today is one of my granddaughter's birthday. And I got up. Well, I was already up, but at 4.45, I went and I got donuts this morning and um, woke my wife up, and she's a good sport, and we went to my daughter's house, and it's my granddaughter's birthday, and we walked in with donuts and stuff, and her eyes were just huge, and she goes, people, right? And she runs and she hugs me and she said something so interesting to me. She goes, I knew you would come. I said, how did you know? And she goes, because I just knew. And, and you know, I'm glad she feels that way. And I think that kids are, they're just like that. They just receive love. They're just like, yeah, I'm going to get it. I deserve it. Right? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't they love me? And we can approach Jesus like that. God looks at us and he loves us in spite of what we've done. He just loves us. It's a beautiful thing. And we're going to see that in the next story. I'm not just making that up. We think that it's important for us to be really, really beautiful or handsome. It's important for us to be really smart it's important for us to talk just so. It's important for us to have all the answers. It's important to us to be from the right family, the right pedigree, or the right culture, or the right whatever we think in order to be acceptable, but Jesus just loves you. When you were still a sinner, he loved you, right? Before you ever came to know him. And that's how we enter the kingdom of God, by faith. We just receive it. Let's read this next little section here. Mark 10, 17. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man went up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. 
This is so interesting. First of all, this rich young ruler gets a bad rap sometimes, but I think he was really humbling himself. I mean, he ran and he kneels before Jesus. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to humble himself, and he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, no one's good but God, right? And, and this is really a, a double meaning here. For one thing, Jesus is saying, I am God, and so you're right to call me good. But the other side of it is, he, Jesus looks at this man and knows him. He knows what's going on, and he knows that this young man thinks he is good. This young man thinks he's good. How do we know? Because Jesus goes through half of the Decalogue, half of the Ten Commandments, and says, keep these things. The man says, I've kept them from my youth. Is that possible? Did he keep every one of those laws perfectly since his youth? Very unlikely. Very unlikely, but he felt that he did, and he felt he had a good standing. So on one hand, Jesus is saying, there's no one good but the Father. In other words, I, I am God, because I am good, you're right. But he's saying to that man, but you're really not. You're really not good. And something interesting happens here. I love this. He says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him. He looked at him and he saw him. He saw him. I want you to know that tonight, Jesus looks at you and he sees you. He knows everything about you. He knows the way that you were designed in your mother's womb he knows every thought you've ever had, every thought you ever will have, every sin you've ever committed, and every sin you ever will commit. He knows all of the potential that you have for goodness and all of the potential you have for evil. He looks at you, he sees you, and he loves you. Just as you are. Just like he did this rich, young ruler, he looked at him and he loved him. But you saw what happened, right? That Jesus is one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the rich young ruler went away. What did Jesus see when he looked at him and loved him? He saw his idol. Amidst everything else that Jesus saw, he saw his idol. He saw the thing that was keeping him from following him, and so he told him, this is the thing that you must do. And the man went away sad. And I want to tell you right now that the same type of thing happens to us. Jesus looks at you tonight. He sees the areas in your life where you struggle. He sees what's going on and what is keeping you from walking with him the way that you want to and the way that he wants you to. And he says, give me that. 
lay that thing down. The question is, do you walk away sad? Or do you respond to Jesus? Because we are all faced with this on a regular basis. We're faced with dealing with our idols. The things that we put before Christ. And I want to tell you right now that you can be a Jesus-believing Christian. You can be somebody who comes in here and raises your hand for worship and still deal with idolatry. Still deal with something that God is saying, give it over. I know I do. Am I the only one? Am I the only one that struggles with things that God is saying, I want you to give that to me. I want you to stop this. I want you to take this step. How are we going to respond to Jesus? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He called him away from his idol to follow after him, the living Savior. So he looks at us and he loves us in spite of who we are and in spite of what we do. And he calls us out of our idolatry to follow the living Savior. He's not, our goodness and our success as a Christian is not dependent on our accomplishments, on our looks, our pedigree, our family background, our culture, our color, what church we go to, how much money we make or give, how charismatic we are, or how many demons we send screaming when we pray. Jesus wants us dependent on him. A personal relationship with him and realizing that he loves us because he's great not because we are so so often as adults children don't really deal with this but adults we do we think that God's going to love us if we're great if we accomplish something he just loves you as you are and he wants you to depend on him for everything Let's look at this last three verses. We're just going to go through verse 31. Starting in verse 28, it says, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter, who's saying, man, you know, we gave up so much for you, Jesus. We gave up so much. I mean, that fishing business, you know, that was really something. I've given that up, and... The truth is, is none of us have given anything up that God hasn't returned or will not return to us. So much blessing. All of the goodness of God.
poured out in our lives. You're not going to be missing out on anything if you follow Jesus. Notice here it says that you will have persecutions. There are persecutions involved in following Jesus. Sometimes they come through other people. Sometimes it's spiritual warfare. And sometimes it's just having to die to self that we feel is persecution. But the truth is that God has blessed us with all the things that we need for life and godliness. I believe that Jesus is saying he's turning things upside down. He's Many who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. He's turning things upside down for you. You know, it's, it's like the economy in the Christian life is so different. In, in so much of the world, it's all about how we can pump ourselves up and what we can earn and how much pride we have and you know, what we can do and our accomplishments and being first, you know, do whatever it takes to be first. And here's God saying that we're to live our lives differently than that. We're to live lives of humility where we love God and we care about others and we consider others more highly than we think of ourselves. And God pours out his richest blessings on us. It's different. If you, if you read the Beatitudes, you would, you would see, like in Matthew chapter 5, you see how the Beatitudes show a different way of thinking, a different way of living as believers. So how does Jesus look at marriage? He sees it worth creating. He sees it worth the long haul. He sees it worth hanging in there and seeing victory having forgiveness how does he see children he sees them as worth something he sees them as of having childlike faith and being an example of how we are to come to him in the kingdom of God how does he see our dependence he wants us completely dependent on him I want to say tonight you know, if you are someone who feels like, man, I, Pastor Jim, I don't know. I feel like I've failed in some of these areas. I want to tell you, so have I. I've failed in some of these areas. And I'm so grateful for the grace of God. I'm so grateful for his forgiveness. If you're somebody who says, but Pastor Jim, I just want to do it right. I just want to, I just want to always do it right. And sometimes I, I struggle. Yes, you do. And you will struggle. And that is part of the Christian walk. The step-by-step following Jesus. Dying to self on a daily basis. When we fall, we fall at the cross. And we get back up again. He loves us and he fills us. And I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Yes, I know we are not where we want to be, but we're not where we were. And he's taking us from glory 
to glory. How does Jesus see you? He sees you, and exactly as you are, he loves you. He's not going to love you more tomorrow than he does today. He will always love you. Let's stand together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight and we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for your scripture. We thank you that you've called us to believe what it says, to live our lives by what it says, even when it's difficult and even when it flies in the face of common uh, cultural norms. God, we, we choose you. We choose your path. We choose your wisdom, your knowledge. And Father, we pray that you would fill us so with your spirit, that you would help us, God, to earnestly seek you and to earnestly love you, God, and to love our spouses, God, for those of us who are married, that we would love the person we're married to, that you would help us, God, to know how to communicate better, that you would help us to forgive, that you would help us to look at each other the way that you desire us to see the other. We pray, Father, that you would be in the center of every marriage, God, that you would absolutely be in the center and that self would no longer be in the center. We pray, Father God, for those marriages tonight that need healing. We pray, Father, that you would touch and that you would heal. We pray, Father God, that they would get the help that they need, that they would reach out, that they would stop behaviors that are damaging their marriages. We pray, Father God, for great healing there. I pray, Father, for those who have been divorced and either are remarried or currently divorced and just feeling um, like where does this passage of Scripture leave them? I pray, God, that it would leave them just grateful for your mercy, grateful, Father, for your love. And for the truth, the truth that you have, you have a future and a hope for them. I thank you for that. God, I pray for those who have struggled with parenting and are struggling with family situations. I pray, Father God, that right now that you would give them ideas, that you would fill them with hope, that you would fill them, God, with patience that you would help them to, to speak to their children or their teenagers or their adult children, God, in a way that brings restoration and renewal, that brings forgiveness, God. Thank you, Lord. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you tonight if there's anybody here who says, you know, Pastor Jim, I have never received Christ as my personal Savior. I've never made a decision to follow after Him. And I want a relationship with Him. I want to know Him. And I want to come to Him with, with all of my life, with everything I've done, the right, the wrong, and everything, and just bring it to Him. I need forgiveness, and I want to know Him. Is there anybody here tonight that says, that's me, Pastor Jim. I want to know Jesus. Lift up your hand. I want to pray for you if that's you. Is there anybody here who says, that's me, Pastor Jim.
I know that I need Jesus. Is there anybody here? All right. I want to also invite you guys, if anybody here wants to talk uh, or meet about issues in your marriage, if you are someone who's been struggling with different things, or you just have questions about where this passage leaves you, uh, and that's something that that you would like to do, I want to tell you uh, how you do that, okay? Um, We have people that would love to talk with you and, and help you through that. And I think the easiest way to do that tonight, rather than have you get on the website and all that, is to just have you email me, all right? If you email me, I'll make sure that, that you get a call and um, we'll get you set up. And so here's my email. Are you ready? This is really easy. It's my name, Jim Davis, at awakenlv.org. And if you email me, Jim Davis at awakenlv.org, then we'll get somebody who can sit and talk with you. And maybe, maybe you're going to want some counseling, or maybe it's just a one time visit, whatever. But we would love to help you with that. All right? All right, let's sing together. Mm-hmm.